This morning in the question and answer period, there was a question about the experience of feeling, of whether experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, and how to work with that, how to explore that. And there's a lot to say about that topic, and so I thought I'd take some time tonight to explore that, to reflect on that theme with you. This aspect of our experience, it's, we, we call it feeling. The Pali is Vedna. And uh, if the translation of feeling tends to perhaps confuse us with the notion of emotions. And the um, exploration of this aspect of Vedna is much simpler than emotion. It is simply about whether experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. All experience, every experience that we have, has this quality to it. Whether it's physical experience or mental experience, a very simple process happens in our minds and bodies, where there's contact with the sense space, whether it's um, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, or the sense space of the mind. And based on that simple contact, the organism feels it and feels it as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. It's an aspect of experience that happens every single moment of experience, and yet it is an aspect of experience that is often consciously not seen, not really consciously recognized. And part of that is because the programming in our mind, the programming, uh, the human programming, or actually it's more like animal programming, is to um, kind of maximize pleasant as much as possible, minimize unpleasant as much as possible. So we very quickly will react to this feeling tone without being consciously aware of it. We move right into doing something when we experience something pleasant or unpleasant in particular. We start to try to keep hold on to, get more of the pleasant, to push away, get rid of, control, fix, change the unpleasant. And so we're fairly automatically reacting to this aspect of our experience, but not consciously knowing that it's happening. One of the Buddha's teachings says that all experience converges on this quality of feeling. And by that I understand that basically when we're responding to experience, we're pretty much responding on that point of convergence. We are responding to the pleasant, unpleasant aspect of experience. We're not really responding to the uh, 
the detail of the experience. And so, for instance, around food, you know, we might think we like particular uh, flavors or tastes or uh, particular kinds of food like chocolate. You know, we think we like chocolate. But what we actually like is the pleasant experience. What we're actually responding to is the pleasant. This is one of the points that the Buddha highlighted that we are responding to this aspect of pleasant, unpleasant. We're just as like automatons, you know, running around looking for more pleasant, get rid of the unpleasant, look for more pleasant. So this aspect of feeling is kind of like a springboard. We leap off of that into judgments, views, opinions, liking, not liking, aversion, greed, So it's a leaping point for us. And the Buddha pointed to this aspect of our experience as being a really important place to pay attention to. And in fact, in his own understanding of his mind, and as he explored and looked at his own mind, he described a process by which Suffering, this dukkha, is generated in our minds. And this aspect of feeling plays a key role in that. And so he said, you know, this is really important. Really important to look at this aspect, to, to, to be wise about this aspect of experience. That it happens to us. It's not that we're going to stop pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral from happening to us. But we can wake up to it. So this process that the Buddha described by which we end up in suffering. I'm not going to go into detailed uh, teaching on it. The, the, the teaching is, um, called, uh, is called dependent origination, codependent arising, uh, the creation of selfing, the creation of suffering is described in a set of 12 links cause and effect processes in our minds. But I will explore just a little bit of this process because I think understanding a little bit about how this works helps us to see the benefit of exploring feeling, exploring this aspect of our minds. So the Buddha recognized that Based on our bodies and minds, we have these senses, and these senses receive sense impressions, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, contact in the mind. And that every one of those contacts, every one of those sense impressions has a contact point. And with that contact, with the sense organ, comes a feeling. Based on that feeling, he said, tends to arise craving. When something is pleasant, we like it. We want it. We want more of it. When something's unpleasant, we don't like it. We want to get rid of it. And so based on that, kind of, that's that programming I was talking about. Based on that kind of automatic program, we act on that desire try to get more of what we want, hold on to it, 
feel like we've accomplished something when we've gotten something or feel like we've failed if we don't manage to get it. So we, we act on that wanting through a process of clinging and identification. And when we get the thing that we want, it becomes mine. Or if it's a, a state, for instance, you know, we, uh, we may um, have this uh, idea that we want to become a good meditator, that that is a kind of a pleasant idea in our minds for whatever reason. And so we act on that, trying to become a good meditator. We perhaps have a good sitting, and lo and behold, we're born as a good meditator. There we are. And that identification becomes, we uh, we become a self there. We, We take birth into that identity. And then the suffering around that happens when, you know, the next sitting comes along. And we're not so able to stay with our breath or notice what's going on. And lo and behold, we have ample evidence and proof that we are not a good meditator. And we feel like we failed. What have I done wrong? So this process is generated, the Buddha says, this cycle, kind of the leaping point of reactivity begins from that feeling. That that's a point where when we uh, can begin to see consciously how we are kind of moving in this automatic program towards things we like, away from things we don't like, towards pleasant, away from unpleasant, when we see that feeling itself, the, uh, there's that choice point. Pat talked about this choice point in the mind. And we can start to not have that program automatically react. That program of, of liking, of wanting, of needing, of creating, of holding on to. So that program, it's a fairly automatic program, but it is not hardwired. Thank goodness, it's not hardwired. The seeing of feeling with some degree of consciousness can help to short-circuit that program. So when we're not very conscious we're in a kind of an automatic mode with our experience. The Buddha says that delusion or ignorance is operating for us. We're not seeing clearly. We're not clearly seeing the nature of feeling. The ignorance, the delusion comes around uh, a kind of a belief that when there's pleasant experience, the delusion that gets activated around pleasant experience is having more of this will make me happy. You know, that that's, that's kind of what we, how we're acting. So that delusion is operating for us when we're not clearly aware. Around unpleasant, the delusion around unpleasant is that getting rid of this 
fixing this, changing this, will make me happy. So essentially we're kind of confused about reality because as we've seen, as we're learning here in our experience and exploring what's going on, we're beginning to get, I think, uh, that having what we want may bring some sort of happiness for a moment or two, but because of the inherent impermanent nature of pleasant, it's not going to make us happy for very long. And with unpleasant experience, you know, we fix or change or think somehow. I, 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 when, um, I think it was Wes talked about the different personality types, I'll, I'll confess, I am an aversive type. This is, this is my mode of meeting the world. My, my way of meeting the world is to basically find what's unpleasant and try to get rid of it. You know, that's, that's how, I, how I find myself operating in the world. And so the delusion around that, you know, that that would make me happy, it's like, oh, look at this. Oh, here's this unpleasant thing. Let me fix that, change that, you know, organize it and get it just right. And whew, we're there for a moment. I got that fixed. But then what does my mind do? It goes and finds another unpleasant thing to fix. You know, there's always something unpleasant out there. It's not possible to fix all the unpleasant things. So the delusion being that that will make me happy. It makes me happy for a split second. So this delusion that's typically present in feeling in meeting our feeling. This is kind of what propels us into this automatic reactivity. When we can bring some understanding, the basic understanding, nothing is worth clinging to. Largely because everything is impermanent. Things that are impermanent are unreliable unsatisfactory, inherently unsatisfactory. And when that wisdom is joined with mindfulness and mindfulness sees this quality of feeling tone, it naturally doesn't want to pick it up. It doesn't want to hold on to it. So that automatic program begins to decondition itself. So the Buddha talked about mindfulness of feeling, bringing our clear awareness to this aspect of experience. There's the teaching of the four foundations of mindfulness, which we've talked about a few times here. The first foundation is the body. The second, so all aspects of bodily experience, the first foundation. The second foundation is devoted entirely to this aspect of feeling tone. It's a really simple instruction the Buddha offers us. I'll read the first part of this section. 
How does one abide contemplating feelings as feelings? When one feels a pleasant feeling, one understands. I feel a pleasant feeling. When one feels an unpleasant feeling, one understands. I feel an unpleasant feeling. When feeling a neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling, one understands. I feel a neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling. Really simple. Not so easy to do, but very simple instructions. Just recognize feeling as feeling, as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Feeling tone can be kind of subtle. That's part of why this is a challenging instruction. It's partly uh, unfamiliar to us, as I said, because we're so quickly responding to it. So it's a subtle kind of experience, and yet once we begin to kind of get curious about it and look at it, it begins to be more obvious. So feeling tone is associated with all experience, both physical and mental. But the feeling tone itself is understood to be something that happens in our mind. The experience of whether something is pleasant or unpleasant or neither pleasant nor unpleasant is understood to be a mental experience. Now this can, this makes sense for us when we are thinking about something like happiness. You know, the experience of happiness has a pleasant kind of sweet experience to it. And, and, and we can understand that as a mental pleasantness. The experience of anger often has an unpleasant quality to it. There's also a kind of feedback loop that happens, right? When there's happiness, there's often light um, kind of sensations in the body that may feel pleasant. In anger, there's the, men- the mind state of anger that is unpleasant and also probably some physical experiences that are unpleasant. The physical pleasant and unpleasant and neutral experiences are also understood to be mental though. So like when we... Um, cut ourselves with a knife and there's physical pain. It's, it's understood to be something that's happening in our mind, that unpleasantness. So how does, that, how does that work? I mean, how does that make any sense? In a kind of a, an everyday way, a way to understand this might be to, to think about how our experience of whether something's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral depends on context. So, suppose you're standing on a busy street corner, waiting for a friend. There's all these people going by, and lots of noise, and lots of stuff happening, and... and, um, you know, right around the time that you've agreed to meet your friend, you feel a tap or a touch on your shoulder. That experience, perhaps, might be experienced as pleasant because of the context. You're waiting for your friend. You're expecting your friend. You're turning to expect to see your friend with that tap on the shoulder. And now imagine the exact same street corner, exact same situation, 
Only you're not waiting for a friend. And you feel a tap on your shoulder. Might that be experienced as unpleasant? A kind of a startle. You're not expecting to be tapped on the shoulder. There's also a very interesting uh, kind of corroboration of this notion of feeling being mental in recent, um, a recent study that was published in March of this year in the journal called Pain. So there was a study that they did to understand how people perceive pain. And I'll read a section of this. The, the author of the study was Siri Lechness. To see how people perceived pain, Lechness and her colleagues hooked up 16 participants to a device that applied variable levels of painful heat to their arms. At the same time, the researchers measured their brain activity using MRI scans, magnetic resonance imaging. In the first setup, participants experienced a series of either slightly painful stimulus says about as painful as grasping a slightly too hot cup of coffee or no pain. So the, 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 they were going to either experience the slightly unpleasant or moderately unpleasant experience or no pain. In a second setup, the participants experienced, experienced a series of either moderate, so that same slightly too hot feeling, or intense pain. And it doesn't say how, what the intense pain was like. But on a screen, it said the participants could see what type of pain was coming up in the next series. In the first scenario, the participants rated the moderate pain, the slightly too hot cup of coffee pain, as unpleasant. And understanding, I think, uh, they, I also understand from what they said later that it also showed registered as pain in their brains, registered as, as a place of unpleasantness in their, in their brains. But interestingly, participants rated the moderate pain in the second setup as actually pleasurable when the alternative was the intense pain. During the moderate stimulus in the second setup, the participant's brain activity also showed less activation in the pain region of the brain and more activation in a region in the middle of the frontal lobes that's associated with pain relief than during the same stimulus in the first setup. The explanation that they give here is the likely explanation is that the subjects were prepared for the worst and thus felt relieved when they realized that pain was not going to be as bad as they feared. In other words, a sense of relief can be powerful enough to turn such an obviously negative experience as pain into a sensation that's comforting or even enjoyable. So, even the scientists agree that pain is felt in the brain. Pain, this is a a mental a mental experience. So we're responding to this mental stimulus. 
So there's the feeling tone associated with the physical sense, the feeling tone associated with mind experiences, anger being unpleasant, happiness pleasant. Getting familiar with feeling tone, getting familiar with this uh, quality of experience, usually the easiest place to begin to do this is in the realm of the physical senses. In fact, our touch sense, the the touch sense of our body, is particularly, apparently, particularly, the nervous system there is particularly designed to be very sensitive to pleasure and pain. So it's it's an easy, it's very attuned, so it's easier to begin to experience it there. So beginning to explore this in our meditation practice. You know, when there is unpleasant experience, the unpleasantness of an itch, for instance. This is a great, really great place to explore unpleasant. As far as I know, nobody has ever died of an itch. So while they drive us nuts, you know, that that sensation being something that's got a fairly strong unpleasant experience, we can remind ourselves that it's not going to hurt us to sit there and pay attention to the itch, right? We can remind ourselves of that. We just get to watch how insanely reactive our mind is with this particular stimulus. So we can begin to tune into the unpleasant aspect of that sensation. Sometimes tuning into the actual unpleasant quality is enough to begin to break that automatic cycle, that automatic reactivity towards aversion, hatred, frustration. So sometimes the simple recognition of the feeling tone can be enough. So exploring the unpleasantness of itching, of other body sensations, just looking at what the actual uh, physicality of the pain is. The, the, we begin to see, actually, that the, um, reactivity, this is where we really begin to see that the reactivity to our physical unpleasant experience multiplies the unpleasantness. So what's going on there? There's the itch, which has got an unpleasant quality to it. And then there's aversion, which has an unpleasant quality to it. So as the, the is explained in the suttas, he, uh, the Buddha says it's as if a man having experienced being struck by a dart. So that first itch is like the first, is like a dart of being hit by an arrow. That they then like pick up another dart and stab themselves with a second dart. So there's the physical unpleasantness of the itch and then there's the mental unpleasantness of the reactivity. That mental unpleasantness of the reactivity is far more the... uh, It's, a, it's like I said, it's a multiplying factor. It's far more the reason for our um, feeling like we just can't stand this. 
that mental reactivity. And so sometimes looking at what actually is the physical pain, you know, turning and, and checking out, oh, you know, okay, there's, my knee feels pain. Well, what is it? Oh, well, it feels like, well, there's a little tightness there, a little squeezing. And when we actually look at it, we may find that the actual physical unpleasantness is nowhere near as great as we believe it is because we're seeing it through that lens of the aversion. The aversion will be multiplying that. We can also kind of attune to and get familiar with pleasant experience in our sitting. You know, there, there can be very lovely experiences with the breath you know, the, the smoothness, sometimes the breath can just feel very smooth and pleasant. If it's not noticed, that pleasantness of the smoothness and uh, delightful um, sensations with the breath are not noticed, that can be a doorway that we kind of slip out into la-la land. Because we're just like drifting off in the pleasant, in the realm of... That feels good. So again, you know, the kind of consciously being aware of feeling helps us to stay here. So also thinking about um, this kind of, I talked about the double arrow around unpleasant experience when there's something unpleasant in our experience and how feeling, uh, the feeling tone kind of plays into that, the aversion having an unpleasant quality itself and the uh, multiplication of the aversion. Well, what happens on the other side, on the flip side? You know, why do we like getting what we want? What's going on there? So there's, you know, there's, the idea, the experience, the thing that we want, right? There's that thing out there that we want. So there's a pleasant thing. Might be a pleasant uh, object of, you know, good food or some actual thing. Or it might be some pleasant um, um, kind of state we're going for. Having somebody see us or recognize us having the you know having a good report to the teachers or something you know i i i remember having whole fantasies about walking into the interview room and reporting these great experiences that i had no idea you know i had no idea but i was really into those fantasies so um there's this pleasant idea this pleasant thing that we want to get. If we um, get that thing, actually mostly what's going, th- going on there is that we've got an idea in our minds that we want that thing. And that our idea in our minds is that I will feel good when I have that thing. And that's a pleasant fantasy. So there's the thing itself which may be pleasant, but there's also this pleasant fantasy going on about how great it's going to be when I get that thing. So there's, there's that kind of multiplication of the pleasant happening there. And in that whole process, there's also a wanting going on. There's the uh, desire to have that thing. Now that wanting itself 
And this is something we begin to see as we uh, start to really closely pay attention to our experience. That wanting itself is unpleasant. It doesn't feel good. Largely, we don't notice that the wanting doesn't feel good because we're so involved in our fantasy about how great it's going to be when we get it. So the, that's a delusion. You know, that's a delusion operating. That's the delusion of wanting, actually. The delusion of wanting completely obscures the fact that we don't feel very good while wanting is happening. It gets us convinced that have the thing that I want, and that's where happiness comes from. So there's that wanting. The wanting is itself is an unpleasant experience, and yet the delusion of the fantasy is very powerful. This is largely why we stay caught in this pattern, because of that delusion of that fantasy. Multiplying that delusion of that fantasy, multiplying the idea of the pleasant. Now, when we get what we want, what happens there? We get the thing, perhaps. We get the hit of having what we want. That's pleasant. So we do get that bit of pleasantness. But what is that? You know, often it's quite a fleeting thing. You know, maybe we get that piece of chocolate, for instance, the the piece of chocolate. Check it out sometime. How long does the pleasantness of a piece of chocolate last? Not very long. Check it out if what happens if you're, if you're getting, um, you know, for a moment what you get, you get what you want, uh, somebody's good opinion. That feels good to have somebody's good opinion. But how reliable are the opinions of other people? So again, you know, the, the pleasantness of that is fairly fleeting. What really does end up feeling really good, the, the kind of the largest part of the pleasure of getting what we want, and check this out in your own experience, is the fact that the wanting goes away. The unpleasantness of the wanting goes away. When unpleasant ends, there's a pleasantness to that. And the uh, pleasantness of wanting going away feels really, really good. And we get hooked to that. And so what happens to us, actually, it's just amazing. We get what we want, and then, and then it's like, oh, you know, oh, well, that felt pretty good. Well, what's the last time I felt really good? Well, it's when I got what I wanted. So what can I want? <laughs> Watch yourself wanting to want. You know, this is a good place to look at this is sitting in front of the, the Google box, you know, sitting in front of the, the screen at, you know, on the Google uh, search engine. I find myself sitting there, what can I look up? <laughs> what can, trying to figure out something to get a, a little hit of, oh, that's interesting information, you know. Sitting, trying to figure out something to want. So this is how, this is how wanting works. And what wanting doesn't tell us, the delusion of wanting doesn't tell us, is that, oh, I'll start on the other side first. The delusion of wanting tells us that you have to get the thing you want in order to have that satisfaction. 
the delusion of wanting won't tell you that if the wanting goes away, the suffering goes away. The wanting will go away because it's impermanent. If you have the interest enough to hang out with that unpleasant experience and not buy into its delusion, it will pass. And then you'll really get to see the freedom of that release of that grip. When wanting vanishes, it's like being freed from from a vice grip. So the whole process of how wanting and craving and uh, the way we go about trying to be happy, it's all tied up with this pleasant, unpleasant aspect of experience. And so getting familiar with this will really serve you. So there's the um, feeling tone associated with our bodies, the physicality. There's the feeling tone associated with the mind, as I've just been describing. You know, the feeling tone associated with aversion, the feeling tone associated with wanting. What happens to us as those operate in our minds? There's also feeling tones associated with ideas and thoughts, beliefs. So, for example, um, something like, uh, you know, so and so doesn't like me. Often these beliefs, these ideas, these thoughts will generate some kind of an emotion which have a feeling tone associated with them. So this person doesn't like me arises as a thought in the mind and a feeling of rejection arises which is unpleasant. So thoughts, views, beliefs can also be associated with feeling tone. Actually, I think from my own experience, thoughts, beliefs, ideas are a leading cause of feeling tone. Much of what we think of as physical, pleasant or unpleasant, when we actually begin exploring the experience that we're reacting to is not necessarily the physical, but is something in our minds. So there's a teaching in the commentaries of the um, Buddhist texts that actually highlights this. Uh, I don't know if I completely believe this teaching, but I found it an interesting exploration. The teaching says that all of our physical senses, except for our touch sense, so our touch sense, it says, we do experience pleasant and unpleasant directly through the nerves of the touch sense. Our skin will experience pleasant and unpleasant. The the nerves are designed to experience pleasant and unpleasant. The other senses, this uh, commentary says, sight, sound, smell, taste, are inherently neutral And if there's a sense of them being pleasant or unpleasant, it's because of an idea, of a concept, of a subtle reaction in the mind that's overlaid on that experience. So a simple simple example to start, like uh, if you see a rose, 
that might be experienced as pleasant. Right? You see the rose and there's the, the, the noticing of pleasant experience. What's actually happening at the eye door is blotches of form and color. The concept of rose is actually in our minds. And that's probably what we like, is the idea of rose and what it represents. I had a kind of first-hand experience of this exploration through looking at my own experience. And this is largely what I want to encourage. Look at your own experience. What's going on? When you're feeling something as pleasant or unpleasant, begin to, begin to look at it, investigate it. So an example. So one night I was um, having trouble sleeping, a kind of a insomnia. And so I got up to meditate uh, in the middle of the night. And um, while I was sitting there meditating, there was this really quiet kind of tapping sound. Just a you know, quiet, like, kind of a random little tapping sound happening. And there was a kind of a sense this was unpleasant. I certainly didn't like it, you know. So there was an unpleasant quality that I, I was responding to with a feeling of not liking that sound. And I was just noticing it, so I just kept on noticing it. Kind of came and went. And when it came back, I got to I got to watch the this kind of sense of um, reactivity to it arise. And I saw that when the tapping happened, there was a contraction in my body. The contraction was unpleasant. The physical contraction was unpleasant. Still had the sense of the tapping sound being unpleasant. And then. Again, just keeping watching it. Now, this kind of investigation, I want to highlight or point this out. This isn't digging. I wasn't trying to figure it out. I was just watching. How is it this time? Okay, here's this sound. What's happening in my body? What's happening in my mind? Third time looking at this, the recognition of fear arose when that tapping happened. The fear was definitely unpleasant. There was a clear uh, unpleasant experience. Now, I hadn't seen the fear before. But when the fear was clearly seen and known, the mind recognized the tapping itself, the sound of the tapping, as being pretty neutral. The tapping itself wasn't unpleasant. The idea of what it represented created some fear, which was unpleasant. And all of that became revealed through the kind of watching. So this is, this is again, seeing how do our minds create our suffering? How do our minds create the reactivity? much of what we react to is constructed in our own minds. We think we're responding, reacting to what's out there. But actually what we're reacting to, what we're afraid of, what we don't like, what we like, what we don't like, is what's arising in our own minds. It's quite freeing to see this. 
sounds a little odd for that to be freeing, but, but it is freeing. And it's fortunate that this is the way our minds work. When our minds see as observing this, you know, I didn't have to, I didn't have to say in my mind when the fear was seen, I didn't have to say, oh, now I can see that tapping is neutral. It just happened. So as the mind starts to see how it constructs suffering, how it's responding and reacting to this feeling tone, it also begins to understand how to find its way out of that reactivity. So play, you could play with this in the hall, you know, recognizing what is it that's, un, what, what seems to be unpleasant for you? A rustling of somebody in the hall, somebody moving. What is actually unpleasant there? Is it actually the sound that's unpleasant? Or is it the idea that the person shouldn't be moving? Is that what's unpleasant? So checking out when there's something that feels unpleasant, what actually is it that you're reacting to? You you might come in, check out the sound. Is the sound actually unpleasant? So sometimes that can be a very helpful exploration if there's a kind of persistent reactivity you know, so, you know, you find yourself persistently reacting to, to rustlings in the hall. You know, just begin to explore. What actually is the unpleasantness there? What are you reacting to? On one retreat, I found a lot of reactivity when I was doing walking meditation. Reactivity to the other people doing walking nearby. Um, this was a huge part of my practice, was Exploring, understanding the aversion, the reactivity to the people walking nearby. And on one, uh, one time, um, after I had heard a talk, uh, Carol Wilson had said, you know, if there's, uh, if there's aversion happening in your experience, there's something unpleasant. You're reacting to something unpleasant. So what's unpleasant? See if you can notice what's unpleasant. And so uh, while I was doing this walking in this person, I was walking up in a, a hallway where there were, you know, a lot of people kind of walking back and forth. And we were all, you know, pretty well spaced in the hall, in the walking hall. And then somebody else joined in right next to me. It's like, you know, trying to narrow the lanes a bit. Aversion was born right there. Okay, there's the aversion. What's going on? And having just like listened to this teaching around, okay, what's unpleasant here? Well, let's see, what's unpleasant? And I went through all the senses. Is it sight? Well, the person wasn't actually physically unpleasant to look at. (laughs) Okay, it's not the sight. Sound? Well, they weren't making much sound, so it wasn't sound. Touch? They weren't bumping into me or anything, so it wasn't touch. They didn't have an odor, so it wasn't that. So I'm quickly ruling all of these out, right? I ruled all of the physical senses out, and it's like, well, there must be something going on in my mind. Kind of duh, but... <laughs> but it was kind of a revelation in a way. It's like, well, what's happening? And I didn't, I didn't know what it was. I didn't, see, I didn't see it yet. So just walking, kind of just 
walking and watching, you know, what's going on? It's, 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 there must be some kind of thought happening. And so just walking and back and forth, and, and then suddenly this thought, like, appears in the mind. It's like, he's weird. <laughs> okay, there's a thought. And I still didn't quite get it, you know. Um, kept walking, and then another thought exploded in my mind, which was, this was, this was an Insight Meditation Society in uh, December. And the person was in bare feet. And my mind said, they're, they're in bare feet and it's freezing cold. This was my justification for, he's weird. And um, immediately seeing the ludicrousness of that, the whole thing crumbled. You know, the mind actually saw, I mean, what, what the mind saw was that it was reacting to a thought. That was what was so potent and powerful about that insight, was that it had nothing to do with the person. It was all a construct of the mind. And the aversion was born because that thought was experienced as unpleasant. And when it was seen just as a thought, it was like the whole thing fell apart and in the next moment I just was feeling nothing but metta for this person. It just shifted. So checking in. You know, if there's a persistent reactivity present, what is it that you're reacting to? It might surprise you what you're actually reacting to. And a lot of what you'll find is that it's something happening in your mind. And what an amazing thing to see. It's not bad news, actually. I mean, we, we take it as bad news. I mean, we... we um, we, bl- we blame ourselves or something. It's like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have those thoughts. But it's just the way our minds work. And when it's seen for what it is, the mind begins to let it go. That's the good news. That's the really good news. One of the... Um, I've mo- t- mostly talked about pleasant and unpleasant tonight, but I want to say a few words about neutral because also exploring neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant experience, can be a very, very interesting place. Often when things are neutral, we kind of space out. We don't consciously recognize when things are neutral. We'll maybe quickly slip into boredom. Not seeing the neutrality of experience, we're attuned to the, like, the highs and the lows. That's where we want to go. I mean, even to the lows. We'd like rather be depressed than feel neutral. We'd rather feel angry than feel neutral. So uh, noticing that kind of subtle sense of not good enough or not feeling something. I mean, sometimes we have a sense that either the highs or the lows, there's an energy there that makes us feel alive or something. So the, the neutral experience can be something that uh, we, we either, you know, just kind of feel like it's, it's basically wrong, it's not where we're supposed to be, or we get bored with it. Neutral can be a place where we slip into the habits of our mind. 
when not much is happening, well, actually, I'll, I'll back up for a moment. Like, you know, one of the things that we begin to see, you know, that, you know, not much is happening. There's not much in the way of highs or lows, not much in the way of either um, pleasant or unpleasant. And, you know, what's actually beginning to happen is that calm is arising. Peace is arising. And these are, this is a subtler kind of state that one, one of my teachers, uh, Michelle McDonald, says we have to acquire a taste for neutral. Acquire the taste for calm, for peace, because we're so attuned to the highs and lows. And in that place of neutrality, if we're not clearly aware of the neutral, very easy for our habits of mind to kick in. Our, our, you know, our, our habitual kind of reactions and responses. So for myself, one of my strong patterns uh, was to... Um, well, it kind of had a double side to it. It either was, I'm doing really great or I'm failing. And I would go into that failure mode um, pretty easily. You know, if, if I wasn't doing great, I was failing. And what I, I began to recognize, you know, from that neutral place, that habit of feeling like I was a failure could easily be launched. So it went something like this. I was on a retreat and uh, had learned enough about this neutrality to recognize and begin to sense, you know, that, that acquiring a taste for a neutral, I'd begun to kind of sense that and sense in that this is a kind of a deepening of the practice when the mind begins to move into those more quiet places, the less reactive places. And so there was that sense of, ooh, it's neutral maybe something really good will happen. <laughs> so there I am, hanging out in that. And there's this little kind of leaning in, you know. And when, like, you know, two minutes later, nothing, like, mind-blowingly amazing had happened, <laughs> the mind said, you failed. <laughs> out of neutral. A neutral experience. The mind would just construct its pattern. So this is a really great place to begin to see. You know, you're in this place of not much happening. Watch what's coming up that's pulling you away from it. Watch what's coming up that's drawing you away. So we're not trying to get rid of feeling. We're not trying to not feel unpleasant We're not trying to not have pleasant so that we don't cling to it. That seems to be something that we think, okay, we see that the pleasantness leads to that pattern of clinging. And so we think, oh, I'm not supposed to feel pleasant. We get worried. We start getting afraid of pleasant experience because we see that we start clinging to it. What we're trying to do here is to bring consciousness to this experience of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. With the wise attention, the habit of reactivity doesn't have a toehold, doesn't have a place to land. 
I found this uh, poem. I'll end with this poem from the suttas. This is slightly um, revised based on my own liking of particular words. If one feels joy, but knows not feeling's nature, bent towards greed, one will not find release. If one feels pain, but knows not feeling's nature, bent towards hate, one will not find release. And even neutral feeling which is peaceful, if an attachment one should cling to it, one will not be free. One who understands feelings nature in this very life will be free. So let's sit for a few moments. One who understands feelings nature in this very life will be free. Thank you for your attention.